Creative Babble. Today we have one more episode for Season 5. It's the last episode in the prank series. Oh no, not another prank episode. But don't worry. If the previous prank episodes showed us the worst in humanity, this episode will show you how an elaborate hoax can bring out the best in each of us. But this episode involves a topic I know very little about, pop culture. So I called my friend Melissa from the Moms and Murder podcast to help me out with this one. She watches an unnatural amount of reality television. And one day, when I was researching the prank series, she mentioned this obscure reality TV show that you've probably never heard of. But I actually did watch this back in college, and it was crazy. It was like a real-life Truman show, where all the contestants on the show were actors, except for one unsuspecting guy. Also, stick around till the end of the episode for some really big news. I'm Javier, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. In 2003, Ralph Garman was offered a role on a new television show for Spike TV. It was the part of a host for a reality TV show. They said, we'd like to talk to you about hosting something. And I was like, oh, I don't really, that's not what I do. I'm more of a, you know, like a character guy or I'm an actor and an improv guy. I'd done a lot of stuff, sketch comedy and things. The producer said, it's not what you think. This is a different type of hosting gig. But we can't really talk about it on the phone. Could you just come in and have a meeting? So I went in and sat down. And that's when they described to me the premise of this show, which was, and this is how they gave it to me in a nutshell. We want to do a competition reality show where only one person is real. And everyone else will be improvisational actors who are given characters and storylines, including the host. They offered Ralph Garman the role of the host, but he wasn't just going to be reading cue cards. Although you'll, you will host the show, you'll also be a character within the show. And we're going to give you the smart, the smarmy personality and you're going to be a typical Hollywood douchebag. This is Melissa, host of the Moms and Murder podcast. She's going to co-host this episode with me. So Melissa... The producers cast Ralph Garman as the Hollywood douchebag host. Now what? 
Now it's time to cast the rest of the fake contestants. They created the classic reality show archetypes. The mean girl, the gay guy, the veteran, the virgin, the jerk, and the quack marriage counselor played by a young Kristen Wiig who was relatively unknown at the time. It was basically going to be a live, real-time play for an audience of one. All these actors would be living these characters 24-7 for several weeks, and then at the end of the show, the idea was to reveal the big con, if you will, and let the, the person in on the joke and then give them a big check and hope they didn't hate us. Yeah, it's kind of funny because when we were doing Joe Schmo 2, at the same time I was doing, I was finishing up the Bachelor work. Now that all the cast members have their role, it's time to find the Joe for the Joe Schmo show. But that's easier said than done. This is Jay Holland Moore. He's one of the executive producers and one of the writers on the Joe Schmo series. So, all right, let's talk about Joe Schmo. How, because you, you know, you've been a writer for all three seasons, but how did you first get involved? They, they brought me in because I had a lot of reality experience. Uh, I was a funny guy and this had to be comedy and they needed somebody who had been on the inside of real reality shows. Back in 2003, Jay Holland Moore was a writer on the ABC reality TV show, The Bachelor. So if you're going to mock reality TV, why not go with a guy who knows it inside and out? But searching for the right Joe Schmo required a little bit more than just your typical Hollywood auditions. What, what was the characteristic that made the perfect Joe Schmo? First of all, it's, it's got to be somebody likable. Uh, so they, ha- you know, they have to be fairly smart, uh, fairly curious, but not too curious. You know, you don't want somebody who's going to question uh, every single thing that's in front of them. you don't want somebody questioning that, but you want somebody who's, who's smart. Who's not a, just a dumb guy. Cause that's no fun to mess with a, with a dumb guy. Uh, you want somebody with a, a lust for life and, and you want somebody who's just basically a good person. So where exactly do you find the fairly smart, but not too curious, good guy? Yeah. Well, none of the, the auditions were, traditional in a sense like we we would just send cameras to places that we thought would have lots of of people there they found the perfect joe schmo playing a pickup basketball game at the ymca in pittsburgh pennsylvania his name is matt kennedy gould this is audio from matt kennedy gould's audition tape are you pretty confident guys i mean on the outside i struggle like the rest of us on the inside though but uh yeah, I mean, I was, I was born with good social graces, so they tend to lend themselves to confidence. But really, you know, I'm just fighting like everyone else. Because uh, that's, another, that's another important characteristic of the person that, that we think makes a good Joe. And that's not somebody that's looking to be on a reality show. You know, none of our people were thinking... Hey, I totally want to be on a reality show. How can I get on a reality show? Matt Kennedy Gould was a recent law school dropout living in his parents' house, trying to figure out the next step in his life. On the weekends, he delivered pizza for extra cash. So when Hollywood came a-knocking, he jumped at the chance. But most of all, Matt is just an all-around lovable guy. 
I didn't know I was going to be the first person arriving. I just kept thinking, you know, what am I getting myself into? Like, should I pop the door right now and bolt? But before they could fly Matt to Hollywood, producers had to make sure he was the perfect schmo. I wrote a questionnaire for the contestants that it was probably between 30 and 40 pages of questions. And because we need to know everything we can about them. Like, and, and we need to know like what they're scared of, uh, what their anxieties are. So we can kind of play on it in a mean, in, in a nice way, not in a mean way, but we need to know if he's scared of snake, uh, if he's scared of spiders, you know, if he's, because we've got to design these games that challenge them. And, you know, we just want to know without being too invasive, uh, you know, we need to know who they are, what kind of person they're going to be, because they're, we're throwing them into an intense situation. So, Melissa, let's play a clip from that show that you and I watched on Spike TV. What would you do if your entire world turned out to be fake? If an army of writers, producers, and actors spent over a year creating TV's most elaborate experiment around you. If they plotted your every move, recorded it 24 hours a day, and put it on national television. Well, that's exactly what happened to this guy. Meet Matt Kennedy Gould, one real guy competing for $100,000 on a reality show that he doesn't know is fake. This is The Joe Schmo Show. But of course, the show we're watching is not the show Matt Kennedy Gould thinks he's playing in. Exactly. He thought he was on a completely different show. You know, come on, guys, raise your hand. How is he going to take it when he finds out that this is one big giant joke? Oh, it's complicated. What? Matt? What is going on? What is going on? Matt? Are you? Describe the premise of Lap of Luxury. What did he really think he was going to win? He thought he was going to win a hundred grand. He thought it was just like a a Big Brother type show, Uh, and he was he was all in. You know, he was at a place in his life where he was missing a little direction. Most people are not egotistical enough to think that the whole show is built around you. So they don't think they're coming into a situation where they're going to be tricked. So they're, they're open to new experiences and they're, they're just living in the moment. And like, like right now, these, this is like an insane thing. You know, it's easy to sit at home and go, well, how would they not know that? Well, they have to think that the entire production was based around them and you just don't do that. We know that it was scripted in the sense that uh, you guys had ideas going into this and ways you wanted to drive the story, but your Joe is completely <laughs> the the thing you can't control. When we approach a season, like there is a script, like we write a script um, much like a, a sitcom, not, not as fully detailed as a sitcom, but certain scenes, like each of the actors, they have lines that they need to get out. And we try to think of every scenario you can imagine. Um, 
but you can't think of everything because humans are humans and humans are going to do unexpected things. Because as a writer, when something, when your story goes awry, you've got to figure out a way to keep it on track and to keep um, the narrative going that, that you've planned out for the whole season. But none of that mattered once you introduced Matt into the mix, because he was the X factor. He was the thing we could never um, know what was going to happen. And we had to be flexible enough so that whatever he threw our way, we had to be able to adapt and shift gears and change. And so we had bullet points. We had storylines we knew we wanted to cover. As far like for actors working on the Joe Schmo show, they'll never have another experience like that because they can't, ever break character they're in character 24 7 it you know it's the ultimate job for an actor but it's the same for a writer because those stories can get blown up at any time and you've got to be able to come up with a new way to get it back on track you know with matt kennedy gould we had to live the characters in front of him i had to for 12 hours on the set but the rest of the gang they were living in a house with this guy so they were inhabiting these characters around the clock anytime he was around they had to be in characters picture this a foggy evening the whisper of secrets in the air and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s that's the backdrop of june's journey the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately instead of doom scrolling on social media i am actually playing the part of june parker a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. I think the best part about Joe Schmo is that Matt Kennedy Gould is really just a nice guy. When he pile drives Kristen Wiig in a sumo wrestling competition and sends her to the hospital, he actually gives her the spa trip that he's won. I've actually never seen anyone do anything like this on a real reality show. I want you to please take my seven day stay to Utah. No, I said don't say no. I started off by saying don't say no, and there is no question about it you'll take the trip because this show you know it, it rewards good behavior you know we put him in these situations where he's he's forced to make a decision and that decision can either be a selfish decision or the right decision and we want somebody who's gonna make the right decisions Jay Holland Moore tells us that after all these years, people still misunderstand Joe Schmo. They think that this show is designed to pull a fast one on this poor idiot. People think, oh, well, this Schmo's just got to be, you know, a dumb guy who's really gullible that, and, you know, they, they mess with him. And we don't, we don't mess with the person. We, we mess, 
we're performing a play around a person. We're not making fun of that person. People think that our Joe is the mark. He's the guy that, that is a victim in a way, and it's not. He's reacting to our craziness, and we want to give him a shot to make the right decision or the wrong decision. And we've often said, Joe Schmo is probably the realest reality show that's ever been on television because most shows, you know, they edit f- fake moments to try to create real drama, whether it's The Bachelorette or any of those kind of shows. They're, they're crafting a storyline in the editing that may or may not be 100% true. Everything Matt did in front of us in reaction to what we were doing was absolutely real. After the break... We're going to hear from Joe Schmo himself. I was at a friend's birthday party the other night, and they heard me talking about Mac Weldon on the podcast. My friends asked, come on, tell me the truth. Are Mac Weldon underwear any good? And I said, yeah, they're the best underwear I've ever worn. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. They are super comfortable, and they're made out of insanely soft material. It's also made with silver, so it's naturally antimicrobial and eliminates odor. Unlike the cheap underwear you get at the store. And it's more than just underwear. I bought undershirts and the best sweatpants ever. I'm going to go back for more, too. Shopping online was super easy. And if you don't like what you ordered, you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. For 20% off of your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K Weldon.com and enter promo code PRETEND. But no reality show can go on without some good old-fashioned romance. Yes. It wasn't just a romance. It was a love triangle between Matt, Molly the Virgin, and the smarmy Hollywood douchebag played by Ralph Garman. And so one of the things that... <laughs> You know, watching it was very uncomfortable for me because I know that it was designed to really mess with Matt. But the whole thing with you and Molly, you know, because obviously <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt had, you know, he had he was kind of playing, you know, several of the cast members, but he really, really liked Molly. That was always the plan that Molly was going to be this sweet, innocent girl. And, and he would likely take a shine to her. And we, and then it was always planned that me as sort of the Hollywood douchebag would, would see that as an opportunity to try to weasel my way into this girl's pants, you know, being like a, like a scummy Hollywood type, you know, I would try to make a move on this girl. That was always planned, but you're absolutely right. He really didn't like that. There are many classic reality show tropes on Joe Schmo, but the most important role of them all is the role of the friend or the buddy. We always cast somebody to play the buddy in each season because that's the guy who can take him down, can bring him off the ledge, can can say, you know, hey, I had that same feeling about him. So he knows he's not insane. Yeah, so it's like it gives him like a brother in arms to kind of... So we know exactly what he's thinking. It gives him a compatriot, so he's not in it alone. And it gives us a, a, a confidant to, that can steer him in the direction we need him to go. But Melissa, it seems like the whole show was one disaster after another waiting to happen. 
Exactly, like the time that Matt may have accidentally heard one of the other characters in the confessional room. He's very intense. He's looking around. We're thinking, oh, f- knows. He knows. He totally knows. Uh, you know, they have those confessional rooms, which I guess was right next to Matt's room. And Kip is doing that confessional totally as himself, you know, in the interview room. What's going on in the house? What's going on behind the scenes when you guys realize, oh, my gosh, he might have he might be onto us. He might have heard this entire thing and it's over. You know, that's why we had it sounds horrible to say, but Brian was kind of our inside guy. Brian played the role of the buddy because he was the most normal and he was his closest sort of ally in the house. And so anytime we needed to sort of gauge Matt's level of knowledge, whether he knew what was going on in the house or gauge his emotional level, how was he feeling? What was he upset by? What was he happy about? We would have Brian hang out with him and sort of gently pump him for information so we could get a better idea of what Matt knew or didn't know. It almost seemed like he knew something, you know? Yeah, he was in the room right next door. Uh, He didn't hear it. I think a lot of it was us being super paranoid and super overly cautious to not make this thing fall apart. If like Matt were to ask you, are you an actor? What was your plan? What, What was the plan? Oh, just lie, 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 lie. You know, uh, till until you uh, until you absolutely were cornered and you had to give it up. But you know, that was like a constant fear in the show. You know, at one point you thought, well, what if the joke is on us? What if this guy actually knows what's happening? And you know, we're the fools. Like we always schedule about fourteen days to shoot these things, between twelve and fourteen days, and. It never takes the entire time because people start to get antsy that they're figuring things out. It's tough when you because you're watching this person around the clock and you're being super sensitive because if if you blow the show, then all this work that you've put in into all these months of work that you put into is just going to be for nothing. So it's a it was a real concern that they would not be putting a prank on us, but that, that they would figure out what was going on. Uh, and then once you think you've got enough, it's like, we need to end this before he eventually figures it out. But one of the most ridiculous parts of this show was the elimination ceremonies. They were so over the top. Each contestant had their own personalized porcelain plate with their face printed on it. It's time. The house is voted. When they were evicted, they would take the plate, throw it in the fire, and Ralph would say, ashes, ashes to ashes, ashes dust, dust to dust. Gina, you're, you're dead, dead to us. us. And it just played so over top dramatic. And when that plate would just crash into the fireplace and break into a million pieces, it, it, was, it was great. Because I, I was trying to think of like, what's the stupidest, most over, dramatic way to get rid of somebody like they do on these shows. Oh, oh. And the first one I remember yours was, <laughs> this is where I always thought, how, how's nobody catching on to this? How's Matt not catching on to it? When you did the ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you're dead to us. I just thought, how did you ever get through that? How, how on earth do you say, <laughs> do you say that with a straight face? And it was so ridiculous. And we laughed so hard about it when we were sort of preparing. You know, we, we rehearsed a lot before we put Matt into the mix so that we had 
a certain ease with the with the material. But the thing that keeps you straight faced and not cracking up is just sheer fear, because we all knew the minute one of us broke, if Matt figured out that this was a gag, then the show's over. At what point in season one do things really change? Because Matt is such a nice guy and he's so likable, but it seems like everyone's just kind of going through the motions. But I remember at least the way it was edited on TV. Once they have that eviction with Earl, he is destroyed and you think he's going to walk away. Deciding vote tonight's eviction ceremony. Earl. Earl, with four votes, you've been cut off from the lap of luxury. Before you go from riches to rags, please come down, serve me your plate, and address the group. So, Melissa, this is the one thing that even after watching the show doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why would Matt get so emotional about someone getting evicted who he hardly even knows? Well, this part is left up to the imagination. They must have shared some really personal moments off camera. Remember, Earl is the older man playing the role of the war veteran. So almost like a father-son type relationship, right? Yeah, exactly. You can just see Matt tear up as Earl is getting evicted. Here's a clip from the show, dramatic music and all. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Earl, you're dead to us. And just like that, Ralph Garman, the host of Lap of Luxury, took Earl's porcelain plate with his picture printed on it and tossed it in the fireplace. Joe Schmo was devastated. Matt Kennedy Gould sits down on the staircase and breaks down in tears. He's fine. He'll be alright. Dude, nothing is worth this. No amount of money. Why put yourself through this? It's stupid. For what? When we saw his reaction to losing his friend Earl when Earl was voted off, to us, it was just another plot point. To him, it was a real thing that was happening, and he was deeply saddened by it. And that snapped us all out of our sort of delusions that this was just a show. Were you prepared with Matt especially? I feel like this was more in the first season, the just gamut of emotions he felt. Yeah, that I mean, that night was probably the most intense night I've ever had in any sort of production, you know, we're good people. And we, the last thing we wanted was for anyone to get hurt. No one wants that. And he was hurting that night. He saw his friend get evicted and a a person that he'd become very close to. And, you know, we can't run in there and say, Hey, that's not a real guy. He's okay. You have to let it play out. And there were legitimate discussions that we ended the show right then. It was like, this is, we can't do this anymore. This is entertainment. Entertainment is fun, but it's not the most important thing in the world. During the final ceremony, the former contestants cast their vote one last time. It was down to Matt, 
Brian the Buddy or Hutch the A-hole jerk who everyone hates. Hutch, you're the winner. Hutch is the winner of Lap of Luxury. Hutch the A-hole beats Matt Kennedy Gould and wins the $100,000 prize. Matt claps and cheers him on. He's really taking this well. But then, the host Ralph Garman gets a buzz in his ear from the producers. All right, hold on. Everyone, one second, please. We have a problem. Matt looks really concerned as the producers come from behind the scenes and interrupt production. Someone in this room is not who they say they are. More dramatic music. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. My name's not the Hutch. My name is David Hornsby. And I'm an actor. I live in Los Angeles. And one by one, each contestant reveals that they too are actors. What about him? I don't know what you're talking about. Please. All right, I'm, I'm an actor too. And, uh... I wasn't honest about it. I'm sorry. Sorry. But you know what? It's not just me and him. You know, everyone else here is just, you know... Come on, guys, raise your hand if you're an actor as well. Please, I mean, come on. Let's be honest about this. Then all the contestants get up and raise their hands. Matt grabs onto his friend Brian, who played the buddy, and looks around the room in disbelief. What? Matt? (laughs) What is going on? What is going on? Matt? Are you freaking kidding (laughs) us? Then Matt turns back to his friend Brian and points at him. Matt, Are you an actor? Everything I told you about my life and my family what? and me is all true. <laughs> my name is? Everything is true. Everything Are you an I told actor, you. dude? Are you an actor? Are you an actor? Everything I Hold told you about phone. my life. Are you an actor? Tell me, just say it. I am. What the fuck <laughs> is going on? Someone fill me in. Come here, come here. Come here. Come here, come here. There's something we've been meaning to tell you. What's that? The only real thing on this reality show is you. Oh my God! <laughs> that's not that's not completely true. That's not completely true. Because the prizes are also real as well, and in fact, they're all yours. So all these people that Matt knew for those ten or twelve days, you know it. He knew who they were. He knew them. He knew secrets about them, or so he thought. You know, it's like in one moment you realize that everybody in your life isn't real. Like, just imagine that. Like, you, the people you hang out with on the weekends, you know, one day you wake up and, like, oh, your best friend isn't really your best friend. He's a somebody who's completely different. Uh, that, that attractive girl that you had a crush on you know, she's married with three kids. Like she's, you know, it's like everything, your whole reality is just turned upside down. And, and that's like the toughest part or the part that worries me the most is those, those few moments when it's like everything, you know, is not real. 
And it was funny. I didn't know the names of the actors until after the show had wrapped because we weren't allowed to know each other's real names. We could only refer to each other uh, by their character names. So when I was introduced to Kristen Wiig, I met Dr. Pat and that's all I could call her. And she would, she couldn't say who she really was. And that was the case with everyone. So at the end of the show, at the rap party, we're all like, hi, what's your name? What's your real name? Dr. Pat is not a doctor. (laughs) My name's Kristen Wiig. Well, it's very nice to meet you. You know, it, it looked like from the finale that, you know, Mike, uh, Matt Kennedy Gould took it well. Like he looked like, I mean, he had that initial moment that turned into a gif, you know, <laughs> like what is going on? But it seemed like he, he took it well. And then, then later on, I read in Entertainment Weekly that he said, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do the show at all. Honestly, the show made me feel really dumb. We never did anything to make fun of any of our contestants. We never did anything to make them the fool. We we were the fools. And so, you know, when you're reading all that, when people come up to you sometimes, because they're, they're excited to see you, they saw the show, and they're like, man, how could you have been so stupid to fall for that? You know, when you hear that all the time, that weighs on you. And I think he had that reaction for a while that show did nothing but show off the best of him you know a lot of people would have failed under the tests that we put him under and he he always succeeded and that's to his credit i mean he was constantly surprising us with his good nature and his behavior and how he was just such a great guy and it, it was gold for us because it made everyone root for him And one last thing that Melissa and I want to ask you is that, you know, we reached out to all the cast members and we found a way to reach out to Matt Kennedy Gould. But I wanted to ask you, like, is there a a way that we could reach out to him that would be more? I found him on Facebook and I look like a stalker if I just write in there. So (laughs) we're going the least creepy way. We don't want to stalk. Uh, um, You know, the only contact I have for Matt is Facebook, too. So, I mean, I can I can put in a good word if you like. I can reach out to him and let him know I just talked to you guys and it's legit and it's fun. So we had both Jay Holland Moore and Ralph Garman reach out to Matt Kennedy Gould. And neither one of them had any luck getting in touch with him. But we still wanted to know what it felt like to be on the receiving end of the Joe Schmo show. It turns out that they produced two more seasons of The Joe Schmo Show. The second season was a Bachelor spoof where both a man and woman were each a mark. Except early on into the production of the season, the female Schmo figured out the whole thing was a hoax. In order to save the show, the producers decided to let her in on the joke. They made her an offer to remain a cast member and she would still get the $100,000 prize as long as she didn't spill the beans and ruin the reveal for the other schmo. But one of my favorite seasons was season three. It turns out that there's another schmo out there that's just as lovable as Matt Kennedy Gould. His name is Chase Rogan. Chase Rogan was a lot like Matt in the sense that he always lived by his principles and he was a good guy and, and stood up for people and did given every time we gave him an option to do the right thing or the wrong thing, both of those guys did the right thing. And it was a credit to both of them as people, how they behaved in that crazy, in those crazy circumstances. Season three of the Joe Schmo show was the most ambitious yet. It was a dog, the bounty hunter parody titled the full bounty. 
where 12 aspiring bounty hunters risked their lives to hunt down dangerous fugitives. Yeah, well, I, and if I remember correctly, it was actually bought by Spike to be a bounty hunter show, and then it converted into a Joe Schmo show. You're absolutely right. Someone came up with the idea of doing a competition reality show for a chance to become a bounty hunter. And they were struggling with how to make that work and how to make it interesting and what would it be. And someone said, wow, you know what? This would be a great premise for the third schmo if we were ever to do one. And that's when uh, John Holland Moore got back in, in the picture and we all we got the band back together, so to speak. Season three really got insane when we had, you know, convicts in the house and we had them chained to an inmate for a day. And then we had the inmate escape and we did the we did the exact speech from the fugitive. But you can't have a Joe Schmo show without a mark or a schmo. Ow, ow. Bounty project. Come on, I will win. My name's Chase Rogan. I was Joe Schmo on season three of the Joe Schmo show. Over the next 10 weeks, Chase will compete in a cutthroat reality show called The Full Bounty. Welcome to the full bounty. He could win $100,000 and the chance to become America's next great bounty hunter. There's just one catch. It's all fake. At the end of season three, Chase learns that he was fooled, bamboozled. Chase, buddy, something we've been meaning to tell you. This entire production, this whole show, has been put on for your benefit. Yeah. Everyone he thought he knew for the last few days lied straight to his face. Yeah, I'm an actor too. You're an actor too? Yeah. Who else here is actors? How many people in the show are actors? Uh, raise your hand if you're an actor. And everything he was doing was prearranged and orchestrated around him. At one point in the show, Chase tries to convince himself that this can't be fake. There's no way someone could make this stuff up. And you said, you can't, you can't write this stuff. And you were so serious about it. Like you were almost trying to convince yourself that there's no way that this could be real. But, but this all was fake and it was all designed to mess with you. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know, like, how, how does that make you feel? It, it's, it's very strange when everyone... <laughs> You know, you think you know someone as what they what they are, and then they're not that at all. So it's a very strange experience in that capacity. But I don't think I was ever ever mad or upset at, at the show or kind of the concept. When the show first aired, he was a bit of a local celebrity. But it's been almost seven years since the finale aired. And these days, he's no longer known as the reality TV star Joe Schmo. He's just, you know, a normal Schmo. It doesn't come up very often anymore. Someone, someone who works at my headquarters, she just emailed me actually like two weeks ago and she was like, dude, I just saw this show you were on. Like, that's crazy. You know, and I've known her for two or three, four years now, but, um, you know, it's just not really something I talk about. So people are, are pretty surprised when they find about it kind of after the fact on the back end. Chase, what was your audition process like? How did you actually come into the world of Joe Schmo? So I was just doing my normal daily routine. I was at the gym after work one day and the, the casting crew had people there who were kind of picking out people around my age. Hey, we're, we're here doing 
casting for reality TV show about mental and physical challenges. Would you like to be interviewed? And I'm just like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, so um, they, they kept it very vague. At this point, there was absolutely no mention of anything having to do with bounty hunting. Yeah, so, so that that's that was one of our questions. Right. Was did you ever have any desire right. to be a pilot? Right. Yeah, and the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and then they called me up two weeks later, like, "Hey, we want you to fly out here for this final casting call." And at this point, you know, we're just kind of like, "Whoa, this is this is crazy," you know. So I go out to LA for this final casting call, which was a pretty kind of weird experience. There was. Ten of us there, Alan, who um, is Rob Belushi, who plays Alan on the show, was actually planted within that final audition to help make um, pick the Joe. Alan played the role of the buddy. And they planted him there so that whoever they picked would have a familiar face um, once they st- we started filming the show. But even though Chase never aspired to be a bounty hunter, he really took the role seriously. Chase, take this gun, hold it on her. She does not move, you understand? She does not move. She's getting away. The other guy's a skip, too. In episode three, when you jumped out of that van, I guess you were staking out a house, and you ran into the house with a gun, and, you know, you were holding this suspect, right, with a gun. Are you pretty familiar with guns? Are you the type of guy that knows your guns? Uh, fairly familiar. I mean, I grew up hunting and shooting a little bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with them. Did you feel at that moment that you were holding like a real gun? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know that I really thought about it. I thought it, I thought it could have been real. When you just think about it a little bit, it seems a little risky for to put, you know, some amateur in that situation in a true live situation. Then there was a time when Chase and the other bounty hunter contestants were in charge of watching inmates who were visiting the Joe Schmo mansion for the day. The whole show was so ridiculous. I'm not going to tell him to escape. Are you kidding me? My heart's racing. Jake is so mad. Jake? Yeah, yeah. What the hell's going on here? We got a runner. This started out as an easy field trip. Now I got a manhunt? <laughs> so peanut. He's an inmate. He's visiting uh, along with other inmates are visiting the set. Right. And it's your job to to watch him. But Peanut goes to the bathroom and his guard um, goes away and and Peanut is in the bathroom and and he doesn't come out. And it turns out that Peanut escaped. Right. And you start, you know, you freak out at first, but then you. You don't. You start to realize that. Um, you know, how could he have escaped that window when there's so many production people outside right. of that window? Wouldn't these production people have caught him? Right. And, and that's when I feel like that's when the first time when you really started feeling like something was really, really wrong, and you even said something is off. Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no, no! Don't go over to the window! No, no, no! This is. Dude, this is a setup. So I'm in that room and that room, they had all the windows shaded out and everything. Um, So like I can't see even when I'm quarantined in my room, I can't see out what's going on in the yard. And when Peanut escaped, the window is left open and I go look out the window and there's like a guy carrying a ladder right there. You know what I mean? I'm just like, this doesn't add up. There's like a trailer right there, a trailer right there, like I'm sorry, but like you guys are trying to sell me this bag of goods. 
Chase knew something was up. Is he going to figure this thing out? You know, these guys need like a max security prison, but he just escaped out of my window into like an avocado grove. Like, <laughs> sorry, this just this just doesn't add up. But Ralph Garman, who returned as the host for the third season, acted quick on his feet and explained the whole thing. You know, I will say that Ralph, Ralph did a really good job of, I'd say, planting a little bit of seed of doubt. I don't know. Maybe that maybe it was real. Maybe Peanut did get away or something like that, you know. Um, but it, John also revealed when we spoke to him that they actually sped up the actual revelation process with you because they were pretty sure you were catching on. Do you think you were getting close to ultimately figuring out the whole thing or... I don't think so, honestly. I mean, I think I'm in the middle of it. To convince yourself that you are the only real person there and somehow this is staged around you, it just, I mean, that is mind-blowing and it just doesn't make sense. You know, they're right. I was definitely, I mean, I was definitely suspicious of a lot of things, but I don't know that at any point I would have just been like, all right, hold up. You guys, like, you got to tell me what's going on here because, you know, all this stuff doesn't add up. Chase thinks this whole thing is weird, but he has no clue that this show is all a big hoax. Still, the producers are panicking. Remember, the schmo from season two figured it all out. If Chase wises up, the whole production is done. If only they could get inside his head. Here's Jay Holland Moore, writer and executive producer. We don't have cameras in the actor's bedrooms, but we have cameras in his bedroom. And he was writing in a journal and we were like trying to zoom in and see what he was saying. And then, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a, a producer sneak in when he wasn't there to try to look and see what he's writing. He knew going into it that anything he does or writes, we can see, you know, he was pointing out things like, you know, did somebody say this the other day? And, and it was, you know, he, it was enough, it was vague enough to where it wasn't specific, but it was, we were getting a little scared. But the producers really didn't do themselves any favors. One of the contestants was an actress playing a deaf woman, except she wasn't really deaf. What could go wrong? Those aren't easy. That takes strong shoulders. Yeah. Did you hear me? Here's Ralph Garman again. There, it was a lot of hanging out time with these casts. You know, when we weren't shooting challenges or games or there wasn't specific plot points that had to be covered, they would spend time having lunch together or snacking or sitting on the patio. And she was goofing around doing push-ups. And um, mm-hmm. one of our contestants said, that's really impressive. And it was Chase who said that to her. And she said... Yeah. <laughs> And he, his head was turned away from her, so she was supposed to be able to read lips, but there was no way she could have read his lips. So we do have to talk about Kaylee and Stan. And <laughs> so Kaylee portrayed, she's an actress that's portraying this um, lady that's deaf, and Stan is her interpreter. And But there's really a few moments where you really caught her slipping up like when she has the, she's laughing with a puppet. And then the other one that sticks in my mind, I think she was doing headstands and you asked her something where she couldn't hear you. She couldn't have seen you speak. And you were pretty quick to catch on to that. Was she someone that you thought was was a plant? When she was doing the handstands and I, 
I said like that takes really strong shoulders or something like that. And she's like, yeah, she, she completely acknowledged it and turned her head. And I was, and I think I said out loud, like, wait, did you just hear me? That was the one that really thought we said, okay, this is it. This is where the show just falls apart. It's, it's so, so scary. Like you can feel the tension in the air when that happens. And it's really great in the scene. You can see because the other cast members heard it and you could see them working to divert it, working to change the subject, working to divert it. Randy did a really good job of like grabbing me and being like, well, let's see you do a, a headstand. He said you can do a headstand or something. And they just like they all kind of teamed up and kept tried to like really distract me for the next you know, five or 10 minutes. I know journaling that night, I wrote, you know, did Carly hear me today? Somehow, Chase Rogan made it all the way through the finale without figuring it out. As planned, it came down to him and another contestant as the final two. The other contestant was played by Lorenzo Lamas from The Bold and the Beautiful. Lorenzo Lamas was hysterical in this role, by the way. I was watching the finale and I was watching your reactions, you know, first when you lost the challenge to Lorenzo and then when you find out that everybody was an actor and watching your face and then all those emotions, I started crying too. (laughs) (laughs) Like I felt your pain, man. And so I'm, I'm wondering like, what was, what was going through your mind? Like what, what were you happy, sad, angry? Like I couldn't tell. I was like feeling it too, but I couldn't even (laughs) tell what emotion that was. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't trying to win. I was trying to win. So I was very calculated with, you know, you guys saw my journaling and everything. Like, I mean, I was trying to win the game, even though you're there with all these people, it's a, it can be a pretty isolating experience because you're, you spend a lot of time in your room by yourself. And I'm just thinking about the game and how, how to win the game. So, so I think all that emotion at the end is kind of a culmination of a release, you know, a lot of joy and just like a lot of like, what the heck just happened. You really seem like a nice guy and but I could sympathize with you because I, I'm personally gullible. Like I could feel like I could, I feel like I could have totally fallen for that because everybody seemed believable enough. Right. Right. Do you consider yourself gullible? Like, do you feel like you would call yourself gullible? To some degree, I think. Yeah. A little bit. Um, It's something my wife and I joke about a little bit. I think to some degree I am gullible on that. I think, some of the things that we just took a personality test at work. And some of the things I learned about my personality is that I'm just like, I'm just a very informal and kind of easygoing um, person in conversation and relationships too. So one of the things that I learned about in this personality test that I have a need to kind of be accepted and like, that's my personality. And, but aren't you glad too that you didn't violate your principles and your morals? Because the whole time you were a nice guy, and even when you had to electrocute, when you had to like shock that guy in the wheelchair, <laughs> yeah. you were even nice about that. You offered the guy a hundred bucks. Like you always were true to yourself. Like, aren't yeah. you glad that you look back and you're like, at least I wasn't an asshole. At, yeah, at, it's it, at the heart of it. The Joe Schmo show is a, a testament 
to the goodness in the world. You know, if you give somebody a choice, nine times out of 10, they're going to make the right choice. So what's next for Joe Schmo? Is this show even relevant in 2020? The toughest part about doing like a Joe Schmo nowadays is because reality TV is so crazy as it is. It's hard to parody something that insane. Because you guys were early on spoofing something that was just starting and it's now so over the top. You know, it's funny. I do have a, uh, a full season already planned out. If there is another season, it's, it's written. It's written. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I would love for Joe Schmo to come back one day. But as far as Matt Kennedy Gould and Chase Rogan are concerned, their time, blinded by the limelight, is up. They're free to continue their normal lives now. But for a while there, they were the stars of their very own TV show. They just didn't know it. You really were in the real-life Truman Show. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's funny. I mean, people who don't know anything about the about the show, that's kind of how I try to describe it. So. so I guess the whole point of this episode is if things don't make sense in your life. There's a small chance that there's a television production crew waiting behind the curtain filming the whole thing. What? Matt? <laughs> Every- <laughs> what is going on? everyone that's it for season five i've already started working on the next season and it's going to be great but it's going to have to wait a little while and here's why i have some big news to share with you this past year i've been working double duty on a brand new investigative podcast this is a series i've been working on with my friend john taylor with the twisted podcast all of last year John and I have been traveling, interviewing people, pulling records, getting into all sorts of trouble. It's going to be so good. And I want to tell you all about it. And I will soon, I promise. But we need some time to focus so we can just finish it. And as soon as the trailer is ready, be on the lookout because you will be the first to hear it. But don't worry, I won't be a stranger. I'm going to still be publishing regularly on Patreon. So if you want to become part of Patreon, go to pretendradio.org and click on the donate button. I have lots of bonus material that never made it on the air that I plan to release. But the best thing you could do right now to support the show is really just to tell a friend. Because believe it or not, pretend it's just a baby in the true crime world. You are on the ground floor. So if you like this show, just leave a review or tell a friend. Help spread the word. It will help keep the show growing. I'd like to thank Melissa with Bombs and Murder and for Mandy for letting me borrow her. You were awesome. Today's episode was written and produced by me and Melissa. Original music was provided by thechicken.net. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyright Act for fair use exception for criticism and commentary. 
All right, everyone. Until next time, talk to you real soon. Coming up in season one of Scene of the Crime, Delphi. Why Libby? Why Abby? Why Delphi? Those girls loved each other. They were good friends. Neither one of them left each other's side. Both those girls are heroes. Before the words came out, I knew. I knew this was not good. As soon as I saw that, I knew something really bad happened. The detectives were like, this is not going to take that long. It's a small town. Somebody's going to say something, and this is all going to be over soon. The first couple of weeks, that's what it felt like, is that any day now. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. My biggest fear is that whoever did this would do it again. I don't want that to happen to another family, because I'm telling you, it's hell. There was no logical reason anybody would have known those girls would be there that day. Child abduction murders in and of themselves are incredibly rare, but the abduction of two children at one time is even rarer. I've only seen a couple in my entire career. There is a lot of crime scene evidence. Uh, Some of it is somewhat odd. Shortly after solving the Golden State Killer case, I did speak with an investigator that was involved with the Delphi murders. If you haven't walked across the bridge, you don't understand, right? Yeah, like that bridge is scary. It is scary. And those railroad ties are rotted. That bridge scares me. So for somebody to be able to cross it, he's moving well enough that he has to know the bridge. He's done that before. It could have been any one of our kids. It could have been anyone at the bridge that day. It's hard for me to believe anybody could do something so bizarre and horrible and not feel compelled to tell somebody about it. Those two young girls were everybody's daughter. I refuse to accept evil as a standard bearer in American society. I believe we're one piece of the puzzle away from figuring out who this individual is. To the killer who may be in this room. Do you want to know what we know? And one day, you will. You've just listened to a short preview of Scene of the Crime Season 1, Delphi. Be sure to subscribe right now wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Penilla, the host and creator of True Crime Sweden, a podcast that brings you crazy, scary, and unbelievable crime stories from the peaceful country of Sweden. By listening to True Crime Sweden, you get to hear cases that you haven't ever heard about before, and at the same time you learn something about how the legal system works in another part of the world. All the stories are told with great respect for the victims and their families. It's a one-woman show, no banter, just me telling you a scary bedtime story. And I end each episode with a little fun fact about Sweden, something that is highly appreciated by my listeners. If this sounds interesting, head over to your podcast provider of choice and search for True Crime Sweden. I hope to see you. Bye, or as we say in Sweden, hej då! Creative